Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. They say that a minister's job is to comfort the afflicted, but I'm afraid today I'm going to afflict the comfortable. Um, uh, <laughs> usually I'm Mr. Nice Guy, but it occurs to me, all of us are probably wanting to set some intentions for this coming year. There's a, a little bit of an idea around resolutions and intentions and a new year and a fresh start, and, and I certainly honor that, but... I think that most of us go about it in kind of a, a little bit half-baked way. And so I'm going to be challenging you a little bit. But where I'm actually going to start is finishing up our, our kind of summary of the month. So this month we were using a book of philosophy to understand how we come to know things, how we come to believe that things are true. And so I want to summarize that really briefly. As presented this month so far, there are four ways that we actually know and understand and come to believe something. One is through our direct experience, through our five senses, we learn about the world. As, we, as a baby, we observe that when we throw something through the, the bars of the crib, it falls down. No one has to tell us that things fall down. It's just within our five senses to learn how the world works. Trouble with that, though, is there's this little connective tissue between all of our five senses that we call our brain that does a lot of interpreting and a lot of actual weeding out and winnowing down. And all of the modern research says that really, although we collect vast amounts of information, what we remember are the things that support our existing world view. So here's the bad news, folks. If you believe something to be true, Everything that you see and hear and taste and touch, you will interpret in such a way, almost always, not always, but almost always, you will interpret it and filter in a way that will support what you already believe. Now, the, the most frightening example of this, perhaps, uh, that, that's in discussion right now is the idea of white privilege. If you are white, you don't think that you have any special powers or privileges, and yet we're getting all the same information, right? We, we're, we're in the same lines at Safeway and have the capability of observing how African-Americans or people of color are treated, right? And yet we filter it out, for the most part, so that in our own minds, there's no such thing as white privilege. Oh my gosh, of course, if you're an African-American or a person of color, you see the exact same things and see how people are treated differently. So there's a, a, just an example, uh, you know, in, in big discussion today, as it should be, around the idea of white privilege, something where our senses can give us all the information we need to understand what's going on, and yet... We, different people will interpret it quite differently and have a quite different reality given those same events. Okay, the second way that we learn and we know something is basically what people tell us. And, uh, and I will uh, divulge uh, something that happened to me when I was, I think, in first or second grade. Uh, someone explained to me where snow comes from. Now, if you're, if you're an Oregonian, and especially if you live down at the coast, we don't actually get that much snow. And I remember the first time it, uh, we were in school when we got a lot of snow right before the, the, the winter break, and one of the kids on the playground told me that it doesn't actually come from the sky, 
that snow actually comes up through the ground and it's just the wind moving it around that makes it look like it comes from the sky. So I go home and I'm like, this is probably an older kid or something, right? So I go home and my, my uncle was babysitting me that day while, uh, uh, while mom was at work. And I, so I begin to tell my uncle how, oh, and I can just, I mean, I can picture myself too. Most people think that it comes from the sky. <laughs> Can you imagine little Larry, you know, nine years old or something, telling the, you know, the 50-year-old adult exactly where snow comes from? It comes from the ground, you know? <laughs> and so my uncle, uh, of course, is, you know, correcting me, and I'm not having any of it. So do you see how the trouble with just taking other people's words for things is often it's not even true, A, right? People can just give you a yarn. People can tell you a story. But even if they're above board, even if what they believe is true for them doesn't necessarily mean that it's true and right for you. Most of what we hear from other people, is it truth or is it opinion, right? There's a million different ways to do things. There's a million different ways of being in the world. And so, so often when we kind of stick to our guns and this is how it's done, we're really speaking about our own experience of life. And it may be or may not be right for other people. So that's the second way that we come to know things is by taking people's words for it. And sometimes that works out well, right? Like stove hot, don't touch. It's better that I take someone's word for it rather than experimentation. So, so often taking other people's words for things right on useful but oh my gosh would I want to go through life patterned after someone else's idea of what it is to be a man or a woman or a modern person or a good father or whatever these are all opinions and I should allow myself to formulate my own. Okay, the third way that we know things I talked about a few weeks ago and that's what we can deduce it. And for those of you who enjoy math and logic and those kinds of things, you can say, well, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? I mean, I can deduce that. I don't have to, I don't have to weigh them or something, right? A, 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 a one pound bag of potatoes that, that weighs a pound and uh, an equal number of oranges, they're going to weigh a pound, right? It's, it's like by definition, it's the math of it all. And so therefore people can come up with all kinds of things that logically they deduce that it's true. Logically I deduce that I'm a smart person because I got through high school okay and I took some college classes and I'm therefore a smart person, right? Well, you see the trouble with this, don't you, right? It depends on our hypothesis. If my hypothesis is that graduating from high school is the criteria of smart and not smart, well, then I have correctly deduced that I'm a smart person. Any number of people could argue with my hypothesis, though, couldn't they? Some people might say, well, an IQ test might actually be a slightly less partial way of figuring it out. And then someone else could say, oh, but you know they're culturally biased. Can't just do an IQ test. Naturally, some people, especially if English is their second language, they're going to bomb on a standardized IQ test. And it has no relative measure of intelligence. So even logic 
often can let us down. We can conclude things based on evidence, based on our hypothesis. It may still be wrong for us. So two weeks ago, uh, Reverend Lynn Johnson did a wonderful job of the fourth way of knowing things, and that's our gut instinct. That's our, our, our uh, inner wisdom self. That's our, our mystical self. And sometimes, don't you just know things without any evidence on the outside? You just have that feeling that something is the right thing to do, or maybe the right thing not to do. There's just that inner knowingness, that, that mystical wisdom that can come to you. And believe it or not, this is actually one of the, the better ways of knowing something. It actually tends to be more right than the other three methods that we've talked about. Usually our inner guidance, and you can think about it as being in tune to your higher wisdom self or, or having that sense of being one with the wisdom of the universe. It's really that sense of being in touch to more wisdom than what normally would just be contained in your body. So, so a good way to do it, but also interesting that the wisdom is for you, not universal wisdom. Here's a place where our intuition, normally intuition works for the person having the intuition. You can't always use it just to say, and here's how you should behave. I had this intuition about you. <laughs> Doesn't work quite so well. So even that method, although it's useful, not quite always the right thing about knowing things. The reason I bring this up, the reason I think this is important, is that in a science of mind community, we believe that our life is a reflection of our thoughts and beliefs. So if we want to have a stunning new year ahead of us, if we want 2016 to be better than 2015, we simply need to change our thinking. There is an inertia to life, and here's where I'm gonna challenge you a little bit today. Most of us are going to experience next year as though it were a repeat of this year. Now that's the good news and that's the bad news. If you had the best year of your life in 2015, the good news is you probably don't have to do that much more or much different to keep on sailing through because our thoughts and our beliefs have a kind of an entropy to them. There's a kind of a, a weight to them. We don't just radically start believing different things. We don't generally just radically start behaving in different ways. And so if 2015 needs no modifications to sail forward, you're in luck. You can watch TV and it'll just unfold for you perfectly. <laughs> If, however, you're more like me, uh, <laughs> there might be some actual changes I would like to see next year. I might want to see a little more love in my life. I might choose to have a little more success in my career. Maybe some of my personal relationships need a little bit of a tweaking for greater intimacy or, or greater love. Maybe, maybe my finances could be in better shape or maybe my, my job could be improved in some way. If any of those are true for you, here's my challenge. You have to think differently about it. If you still stay exactly the same on the inside, the universe will take that as your imprint to give you on the outside. I would like to present a fifth way of knowing. Now this isn't in your philosophy book and you're gonna find out why. You may think I've just invented it. You may think I'm crazy in fact. I think we can know things also 
by our design, by our choosing of them. Now, some of you are giving me that look, uh, as you should, (laughs) because we do have a room full of smart people, however you want to measure that. Some of you are saying, so Larry, you're telling me I can just choose to believe something different and that will be a good thing? Isn't that just kind of fibbing to myself? Isn't that kind of just making a whopper? Aren't I just sort of inventing the snow comes up from the ground and then we'll carry on as though that were true? If it's a benefit to you, I would say yes. If your life will be improved by you believing your worth a better life, then yes. If your life would be improved by knowing that the universe is here to support you and bring you greater love and intimacy in your relationships, then yes. Even if it is contradictory to what you already believe a little bit, right? Because we've gotten where we are by our current and existing thoughts. And so if we're missing out on something sweet going on in life, let, let's say one of your fondest desires would be to, to find that life partner. Or if you already have one, to, to really have a, an intimate kind of relationship with that person that maybe you haven't experienced quite to that depth before. What I know is you have to be thinking differently about it if you want to actually get it. You have to feel that degree of, a greater degree of intimacy. You have to be able to accept that greater sense of love, both giving and receiving. And it has to start in your head. It has to, it has to be part literally of who you are and what you accept. And so, even if it sounds foreign at first, having thoughts in your mind of, I am worthy of the greatest relationship of all time, that has to be in there. That has to become something that blossoms forth if you want to see that on the outside. Otherwise, you're going to be using all of your mental, emotional, and spiritual power to keep things pretty much the way they are. Even though you don't realize it, you will be using those same filters. You will be walking that same path. Things are unlikely to change. And so our, our job here today, if you will, and we're going to have a lovely golden bowl ceremony to kind of uh, uh, cement it, if you will, or to authenticate it with each other. Your job today, and there are a couple little pieces of paper in your program that will help you with this. First of all, are to release things that are standing in the way of it. So an example, what, what's the most common uh, uh, New Year's resolution on the planet? Yeah, I'm going to lose 25 pounds. Well, you fill in the number. Some of you, maybe, maybe only five, right? But uh, the trouble with that is most of us have count, uh, contradictory beliefs in our head. We believe that losing weight is really hard, that diets never work. We believe things like exercise is unpleasant, and I don't really like doing it. We believe that it's too much work to read all those labels and really figure out the information that we're taking. We believe that there's not enough time for a good exercise program. Do you see where I'm going? I I hope I'm not just crushing some of you or planting seeds of disbelief, but so many of us can come up with a thousand true beliefs in our head of why losing 25 pounds is gonna be darn near impossible. So one of the things we have to do is we have to release those old beliefs so that a new one can take its place. 
Because otherwise it doesn't make any sense to have an intention or an affirmation of, uh, I'm going to treat my body wonderfully this year and, uh, and exercise appropriately and eat in a way that sustains this, this beautiful body temple. I mean, I can say that and I can intend that. I can write it down. But unless I'm willing to give up those beliefs, thinking it's hard or nearly impossible or no one can do it or, or there's no time for it or, or you know, I eat out too much and there's nothing I can do about it. Do you see all of the defeating mechanisms that we have even as we're taking on a new intention? In fact, let me read, uh, let me read uh, uh, today's joke about New Year's resolutions and I think you'll see where I'm coming from. So Peter, at work on January 2nd, turns to his friend Ken and asks for a cigarette. I thought you made a New Year's resolution to quit smoking, Ken responds. Oh, I did, says Peter, but it's quite a process, you know. I'm still in phase one. Phase one? What's that? Well, that's the phase where you still smoke, but you feel guiltier and guiltier about it, and you bum, you bum cigarettes from friends instead of buying them. After a while, then then I'll be in phase two. So then you'll stop smoking? Oh no, says Peter. Then I'll only sneak cigarettes in private and feel guilty for hiding them. Well, well, Ken thinks for a minute and then asks, well, is there a phase three? Do you eventually really stop smoking? Oh, I suppose so, says Peter. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) For most Americans... A New Year's resolution is let go of perhaps quicker than it was thought of. (laughs) And so the idea behind our golden bowl ceremony today is not to go for the end product on the outside of us, but rather to claim an intention for changing what's on the inside of us. If we want to lose 25 pounds, we need to know that we're worth it. We need to know that in our own heart and in our own mind, it is worth the love that I have for myself to eat properly, to exercise well, and to enjoy my life at a higher level of activity, right? That's the truth. It's about love. It's about loving myself enough to become someone who weighs less, right? So it's not about the diet, it's not about the exercise program, it's actually about self-love. Am I going to love myself enough so that I will become more trim, so that I will last on this planet a lot longer, so that what's going into me will, will nurture this beautiful space suit that I get to wear? Do you see how this works? And let's say your intention for this year is maybe to have the, the most fabulous job on the planet, right? Maybe you're kind of sick with the, uh, of the job that you're in right now, and your idea is to have the, the peak experience of a career. The way you start is by becoming the peak employee of a career. Do you see what I mean? It's not about just more interviews and and crossing your fingers and hoping. It's about becoming that dynamite employee or self-employed person. You have to become the thing. What would the world's greatest salesperson be like? What would the world's greatest teacher be like? What would the world's greatest retail clerk be like? Now, Now, some of you are going, well, that's not the job I want. Well, that's fine. 
become, become that person that is the best on the planet of what you want to do then. That's how you start it. That's how you become it. That's how then when you walk in for the interview, right? You are that thing. You know, they did a, a survey a, a few years ago of HR directors and, and who gets the job and who doesn't. Well, now, of course, a lot of things are weeded out right up front. If you don't have the basic qualifications, you probably won't even get an interview. But if you get an interview, guess who gets the job? It's the person that's most confident. It's the person that speaks about the job as though they already have it. It's the person that can tell you the 38 different reasons that such and such is true or such and such isn't true. It's that level of, of knowledge about the, the products or the services or whatever it is. And that comes from setting yourself up as though you already have that, you have become that perfect worker. So you see the task could be a little bit about changing how we think about a New Year's resolution. It's not the outward form, it's becoming the thing that the outward form goes with. So if I got you, am I just being mystifying? A lot of you are giving me that kind of look, like why did I actually come to this church today when there were so many options? I think, though, this is important, honestly, because the New Year's is a propitious time. It is a, it is a time, both in metaphor as well as in fact, when it's easy to say, all right, I'm letting go of the old stuff, and I'm really going to stand for something different this year. I really want my life changed for the better in an amazing way this year. And I think I'm setting us up so that we can actually do it so that it won't be a New Year's resolution that's done in 15 minutes, or that you talk about midway through the year and just say, whatever happened to that? Because <laughs> whatever happened to it was your status quo thinking. So on the little slips of paper in your program, you have a yellow one and a white one. We're gonna be doing our uh, collection in a moment, because what I wanna do is have our golden bowl ceremony be at the end. I don't want it interrupted with a, a collection and whatnot. But during the collection, and, and while we're listening to, um, to some beautiful music again from our choir, what I'd like you to do is begin thinking about, one, on the white sheet of paper, what it is you're willing to give up, what you need to release in order to experience 2016 in a more powerful and beautiful way. And then on the gold piece of paper, I want you to write down your intention for this coming year. And again, what is it that you're going to become? Are you gonna become the world's greatest mom this year? Are you gonna become the most powerful stockbroker this year? Are you going to have the most amazing job because you're stepping into it? So think of the intentions in terms of you changing you. Let us pray. Upon the altar of our Most High, we have placed these intentions for 2016. And what I know about these intentions, even as they are lovingly written down, even as they are carefully prepared to represent what each one of us chooses for our lives in 2016, that there is a heavenly response, that God is the God that says yes. And so these heart's desires, these intentions, these, these obligations in a way, for we have each contracted today with the divine 
to provide and receive. And so for this, I am grateful. I'm grateful in God saying yes. I'm grateful in this planet that will be uplifted through these intentions in this coming year. And so in gratitude and in great grace, I release these intentions into the world to do good. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.